This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and the Aranda people. We pay our deepest respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We all misbehave sometimes. Wanna change the world, indulge in some bad Hello and welcome to Bad Behaviour. My name is Nicola. And I'm Rosalind. Yay, you're here again. And that's so fun for us. Are you surprised? No. Is this shocking for you that I'm here, that I, I turned up? I was talking up? to our listeners, you dickhead. Not you. Oh. Not- <laughs> I thought you were doing... There's literally no one else on this phone call. How would I know that you're not talking to me? Not everything is about you. I just have to put that out there. You're having a conversation with one other person and it's not about me. I was opening me. it up to the, you know, the third person. Okay, you're right. Hi, listeners. Welcome. We love you. We hope you're well. Yes, hope you're thriving. How are you, Roz? Are you going well? Um, look, I'm not going badly. Yeah, but not well. <laughs> no, because I've had a really, really stressful week at work. It's just it's been Monday. really hectic. <laughs> I know. That's how you know it's been hectic, that I'm saying the whole week has been stressful it's and it's been one day. Yeah. I'm helping organize and run an entire conference and it's just been a lot. Uh, so excuse me while I panic every now and again. If you don't hear me speak for maybe five or six minutes throughout, it's because I'm over hyperventilating about my life, <laughs> um, which doesn't translate well over a podcast, I will say. You know what? I'm happy to fill those silences, man. I've got a lot to say. I've got I a know. lot to say. You should get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> happy to fill the silence. Seriously, though, I still, in my adult life, I still haven't learned how to just sit in silence. It's a skill that I don't have. Well, let's not try on the podcast <laughs> to do to sit in silence. Maybe not. No, it is true, though. I have friends who are really good at it, who you don't feel awkward or anything. You just sit there and it feels really comfy and warm and lovely. And I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, you are. Oh, good. It's just I have a lot to yeah. say to you. So we tend to talk mostly. Oh, I reckon there's so many people who you know, upon reflecting on me as a person, they're like, by God, she can fucking talk, can't she? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do that when I reflect (laughs) on you as a person. (laughs) The thing is, I think about it sometimes, how much you talk to close friends. What on earth do we take the time to talk about? Honestly, what are we talking about? It's two minutes in, you don't need to get this introspective. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, how are you going then? Let's go back to that. Let's go back. Tell me the weather. (laughs) How's the weather? Weather is good. And how's the mental weather? The mental weather, well, it's a storm. Let me tell you, a storm is brewing. No, it's, um, I'm going well. I'm just, I just got my first cold of the season, so I'm feeling a little bit fragile. I really turn into such a sook when I'm sick, like the whole world crashes around me. I get so fearful about my immune system. It really, really wreaks havoc on those around me because I just will not stop talking about it as well. I was thinking about this yesterday, how like I really think I've made my iron deficiency into a personality trait. <laughs> I don't think I think I should think seriously about that because it's not fun. 
like it's really not fun for anyone. I know a lot more about your iron levels than than I know about uh, from other friends. I'll say that. I mean, my mother the other day was like to me, you need to stop talking about how tired you are. Like it's so boring to me when you talk about it. Well, there you go. That's my personality trait. Yours is that you've got low iron and mine is that I have insomnia. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's so true. You do talk about. That's all I talk about. (laughs) Why do we have a podcast? (laughs) Why? Um, But yes, apart from that, doing really well. Super excited about this conversation that we're about to have now because I feel like when I was reviewing this episode and preparing, it was one of those episodes, you know, when you feel like little fireworks go off when you're listening back to it and you like connect the dots on different conversations you've had. And it's just like a really satisfying moment where things come together for you in your own head. So this was, um, it was definitely that kind of episode. So I hope you all enjoy. Yes. So if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Kaz and I was born and raised in Kenya. I have been a sex educator formally for the last two years, informally for the last four going on five years now. And I am a content creator on sex education, an activist and championing for queer LGBTQ plus rights, sex education within the school curriculums and marginalized communities in Kenya. That's kind of where life has brought me to now. Having conversations that are taboo and that are not had within our quote unquote conservative community. You've touched on it a little bit, but what does it mean to decolonize sexuality? It really is that emancipating yourself from mental slavery. I heard Bob Bali say it so many, 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 many years ago when I was a little girl, and it made no sense to me until I started doing this work. And everything sort of just came full circle because just because we are a highly Christian society in Kenya, people are so focused on what it is that they have been taught, not understanding that a lot of people who are Christians and staunch Christians only nitpick the things that suit them in the Bible, or, you know, even with any religion. We're a highly homophobic country. The laws haven't even been changed from when they were set for us during our pre-independence. So these are our colonial laws have never changed because people are hell-bent on not changing. In Kenya, homosexuality is still illegal and punishable by law. And like, there's no point nobody's trying to hurt anybody i've been following the court cases where we're trying to decriminalize homosexuality and change certain parts of the penal code that don't make sense more than anything they don't make sense and it's also not part of the new constitution which is supposed to be human rights friendly yet the law isn't it's really just about giving people a space to sit and unlearn all of the things that they have been taught throughout their growing up. The curriculum currently is more about teaching young people about sexual practices from a negative point of view. So a lot of young people are scarred and have a lot of trauma around sexuality where it's not 
necessary because those things can be changed. It's just that the lawmakers refuse those things to happen. So it's a work in progress. And if we can't do it in the school system, then my work is going to be about like where else, which other platforms are young people listening to so we can let them know that it's okay. It's okay if you want to masturbate. It's okay if you're attracted to somebody of the same gender. It's okay if you're not comfortable with your biological assigned sex. It's okay if you want to change, you know, it's okay if you just want to be yourself. That's what decolonizing sexuality for me is. It's just allowing people freedom. What are some key things that you've had to unlearn on your path to decolonize your own sexuality? Everything. Everything is a learning curve for me because I'm queer and I'm learning how to be, even as a queer person, learning how to be a good ally um, for the queer community in Kenya. Every day is a learning curve for me, learning gender-inclusive languages, inclusive languages. It doesn't even necessarily have to be gender-based. Learning about myself and unlearning about my heteronormative sexual practices or my heteronormative sexual language, which still exists within the queer scene. And then even in my relationship, I'm in a polyamorous relationships with multiple partners. And there's so much that I'm unlearning and learning at the same time, because I think unlearning is also a form of learning. And, you know, having conversations about polyamory with people that still constantly think that people who are polyamorous just want to fuck everybody in the world. And it's a complicated lifestyle and it's a complicated conversation to have with people that are still very heteronormative and still very religious centered. So everything, every single thing and every single day for me is a learning curve and is an unlearning curve in the same breath. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about how we can do better in creating safer and more inclusive and accessible sex positive spaces. I'm aware that a lot of the times like these sex positive and body positive movements get co-opted and can sometimes become quite dangerous for queer people of colour to be a part of. So I'm wondering what your ideas are around creating safer spaces. I think the best thing that we can do for ourselves first is to do the research. I feel like the online space is a very tricky space and can be both safe and can be extremely unsafe for a lot of people. And I feel like a lot of the time, if you're vulnerable and searching for something or searching for safety, then uh, I feel like it's a hit or miss situation. But if you're actually very diligent about like doing your research and making sure that certain people that are heading or leading certain communities um, have a good rapport or you know sort of like tracking their work also figuring out for yourself exactly what you're looking for so that you can find yourself within the right communities I think that's important for queer people of color very important for people to do their own research we need to be able to be comfortable enough to have uncomfortable conversations and I feel like the most uncomfortable conversations we will ever have are the ones that we have at home with our families I want to say that that might be the starting point, but that might not because those are the worst. Those are the most uncomfortable places to have um, conversations and create safety. But I think more than anything, 
what we can do if we're struggling with having conversations at home with family or whatever is to sit down and figure out what our boundaries are. And once we know that, we can share our boundaries with family. For example, my dad is very homophobic. And, you know, he's one of those like very macho man type. He'll make jokes that are so inappropriate. And I'm constantly just standing my ground and saying, like, you can't. You can't make homophobic jokes. You can't talk about queer people like that. You can't say things like that. And for me, that's just my way of, like, we may not sit down and discuss, um, like, toxic masculinity because that's going to become a big fight. But I can set my boundaries, and this is me creating a safe space in that environment. Like, I look, I understand who you are. I'm not trying to change you. I understand our generational differences. But you cannot say hateful things about other people because you feel like you're better than them or because you feel like they're less than you. And so I think creating boundaries and sharing those boundaries with your family members is a really good starting point for creating some sort of a safe environment. And I think once you're able to be comfortable with your boundaries, it takes a while, then you're able to move that being that has boundaries into any space, knowing full well that you're creating a safe space within you and even knowing what your boundaries are when you do go online to an online community. You can always set your boundaries or you can always tell somebody if they've inappropriately overstepped your boundaries. And I think that for self-preservation, I think that's a good place to start with creating safety. I was very interested in this idea that Kaz puts forward about creating safe spaces and the steps that you need to take as an individual or as an organisation or as a collective in order to do that. And so she talks about researching and being really diligent with your research and creating boundaries and making sure you're taking care of yourself. And I think it got me thinking about how... I feel like safe spaces has become one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot, like in progressive circles. A lot of times people will rely on this idea of, oh, we've created a safe space, but there's no intention behind it. Once I'd stumbled upon this idea, it got me thinking about like how we can use the ideas that Kaz put forward of decolonizing in order to create those safe spaces. People say it a lot. You're right. And so they go, this is a safe space for this. But it can't be a safe space for everybody on the planet. And it feels like it becomes this word that you throw around to say, everyone is welcome and we're very tolerant and progressive and sort of an easy we're progressive we accept everyone and we're politically correct maybe is the word so you say we believe in safe spaces but there's no what does that actually mean how do you enforce it who is this safe space actually for what are you creating it for what is the outcome that you want from this safe space why are you making it why are you the one offering it why should the people who need this safe space come to you specifically like there are so many other questions that you don't really analyze. So in terms of decolonizing, I guess that does make sense if you're looking at making safe spaces for people of color. I think this idea of decolonizing your mind and decolonizing your attitudes is what helps you create safe spaces. 
And so, you know, I was doing a little bit of research about the history of where decolonizing sexuality came from. And I came across this really cool organization called Decolonizing Contraception. And they're a collective of people working in the sexual and reproductive health field, which when you're thinking about decolonizing sexuality, contraception is such a huge, and access to contraception, that seems like such a central idea to the whole, to how we think about decolonizing our sexuality. So they have this really cool thing and I'll put it in our show notes and it's called a safe space pledge. And this was One of the first times I'd seen something like this, it was just really clear and concise and it's just a page on their website that lays out what they mean by safe space and what will happen if you don't abide by those safe space principles. So they have ones that you would associate with safe space like asking for pronouns, using correct pronouns, asking for consent before touching, taking up space, which I thought was a really interesting one. So like, you know, if you're in a space where the topic is not your lived experience, making sure you're not speaking to that topic or taking up time or space. So things like that, that I just thought were really interesting. And then it got me thinking about this idea that we at bad behavior we want to create a safe space right like that's one of our primary (laughs) goals is to have this podcast be safe and inclusive and an environment for learning and I was thinking what would our pledge items be like what would be the foundations of our safe space because podcasting is a form of gathering isn't it like we're bringing people together it's you and me and then there's Cheji who's editing and there's someone listening so that's a little gathering already we're all in the room together and with that in mind we do need to think about how we're safe and inclusive one of the big ones for me is probably you know we say we believe that through vulnerability and empathy you can learn from conversations and understand them more fully and bring them into your life but with vulnerability you know that can be really dangerous too if you were to be you know vulnerable all over the place with people who don't understand and recognize and respect that vulnerability so I guess sort of a respect for vulnerability and a understanding that you're not going to stand up and say you're wrong to think this you just go I understand your perspective let's discuss it On that note of vulnerability as well, I think there's a whole component where you're talking about how you disclose things as well. You know, sometimes you're going to be listening to these episodes and there's going to be things, it's going to bring up things in your life as well because of the type of stories that we prioritise telling and then understanding that if those are triggering for you, there's steps outside of listening that you can take as well. I think we speak a lot about this idea of consenting before telling someone something really big. And so I think as people who create a podcast, that's our responsibility as well, is to make sure that people listening know what they're about to listen to and have the option to stop if they need to. I think another one is, you know, you talking about taking up space was really interesting because I think that's something we talk about a lot. We choose topics that are not necessarily covered in mainstream media and that means 
a lot of the time we're choosing topics that aren't our lived experience and that's why we love to step back and get the perspective of our guests and then it's our responsibility to create a situation where we want to reflect on what they're saying and understand it and empathize and you know find ways to connect with it so that we really embody everything that we've learned rather than just go oh cool that was interesting move on but at the same time we have a big responsibility to to understand the limitation that we don't have the right to take anything too far when it's not our own lived experience and that's something we were very conscious of especially as to white women sitting here and talking about something as big as decolonizing sexuality so I think that's a big one as well and a really interesting thought. I think that's so intriguing to reflect on because that's something we I think has been a learning curve for us in the time that we've created this podcast is figuring out when we're adding to a conversation or when we're just endorsing it if that makes sense well I mean all our guests you know we're giving them this platform because we think their ideas are amazing but you know I remember in the beginning early stages of this podcast we really got stuck in this habit of just we would regurgitate their ideas without adding anything new or like taking the conversation well because it's scary it's really it can be really scary to be vulnerable and to take it further and to go I want to bring it into my own life and I want to reflect in a way that's meaningful and respectful, but also transformative. Like that's what we want. And that can be really hard and really scary to do, especially when concepts are new. Sometimes paraphrasing or regurgitating is a way to learn. So some things do need to be reiterated, but you're right. It's um, definitely been a learning curve. There's certain boundaries with that as well. You know, we talk a lot about white privilege and white feminism and it's really easy to get stuck in certain parts of that conversation, you know, to just like regurgitate the same lines about representation or like we know we're privileged or, you know, and just rest on that without taking it further And I think that's a key thing to a safe space is accountability. Like you have accountability that we do not tolerate racism, sexism, homophobia, any kind of hateful behaviour that's not tolerated in our space. But we also don't tolerate it in ourselves as well. Like we want to push ourselves to actually unlearn things in a way that's not tokenistic because I feel like that's one thing I definitely have learnt to be better at with this podcast is making sure conversation they're adding something that hasn't been said a million times before and probably way better by a person of color you know like that's something really important to me I just I don't want to keep bullshitting for the sake of like you're signaling that you're a good person because you acknowledge your privilege and it's like okay cool that's you know base level I'm it's step zero honestly like it's not even a step you did nothing to acknowledge that you've lived a privileged life like go beyond that there are so many you know like respecting growth respecting the people who are learning still that's a tough one it's interesting because I don't think I had ever thought of it in my head as we are trying to create a safe space for ourselves for our listeners and especially for our guests who are very vulnerable in sharing their experiences and their stories 
And it's actually really beautiful to think of it that way. I'm interested actually thinking about it. I wonder if, since we're talking about this as a space and that our listeners are included in that, I would love if anyone listening had ideas about things that bad behavior would put in their pledge. Maybe we should actually write a pledge for our website. You're really open with your experiences with kink and fetishes on Instagram and through your podcast. Have you always been interested in BDSM and how did you kind of start your exploration into that part of your sexuality? Yes, I've always been into kink and BDSM without even knowing what kink and BDSM was. My favorite type of kinky thing to be is submissive and I enjoy impact play. So I've always known that in my relationships that I've always enjoyed impact play however it came. So, you know, starting light with like spanking and choking and pulling hair, but then started just like exploring more stuff online. And I met this um, beautiful couple that live in the US, Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir. And they allowed me or allowed a space for me to experiment more with my BDSM kink side of things. And that was super cool. And I just kind of like from there, it was like they opened a portal and then I just entered that portal and started learning more, discovering more, experimenting more. And I have partners, wonderful partners partners who've allowed me to do that and it because it's such an important part of my life and a very important part of my relationships I generally like to partner up with people who are more into the kink scene I'm more attracted to people who are into the BDSM kink scene just because that's a part that I constantly want to explore and it's never ending I am in a new relationship at the moment and I have a master who is my partner and we've been like exploring so many different aspects of kink which are just mind-blowing for both of us and I yeah I just I love it here also I honestly feel like I think the more that I learn about the kink community and the kinky lifestyle the more that I think that kink should be used as a form of therapy Ooh, well please I would love to hear more about that what do you mean by kink as therapy I have never felt safer in my life than when I am with kinksters in the same space. There is such very like prominent conversations about boundaries and continuous conversations about consent, continuous ongoing conversations about consent and boundaries throughout kinky play scenes. And that doesn't happen in normal I'm going to use the word vanilla that doesn't happen in vanilla sex experiences because the conversations about constantly ongoing conversations about consent and boundaries is not something that happens. A lot of the time, if there is even conversations about consent and boundaries, it'll only happen once in the beginning prior to like a sex scene. But in the kinky lifestyle, it's so safe. I remember going for um, a swingers retreat in New Orleans and like being practically naked within this resort the whole time but the minute that I leave the hotel to just go to the store and maybe buy like a coffee or whatever like you know men cat calling like it the vibe changes like real life is such a different place I also just really feel like people tapping into their kinky side and being in a safe kinky space with 
people who know what they're doing is a form of therapy. It's very cathartic. Do you have any tips for someone who wants to start exploring kink and BDSM in particular? I do, yes. My thing would be, I have found my kink community on Instagram. This is the truth of the truth of the truth. And go online. I would say Instagram is a really good place to be, like sort of like search hashtags. Trust your gut. Find kinksters who you feel resonate with whatever it is that that you're trying to find or you're trying to experiment with. A lot of these pro kinksters are hosting classes. I would say take a class. Everything is online. You have access to everything at the tips of your finger from around the world. And podcasts are a really good place for free information. But also a lot of these kinksters and content creators are creating free content on their Instagram. There's a lot of learning opportunities there. There's actually also, I found that I learn a lot on TikTok. (laughs) Not so much about kink but about relationships there's a lot of diverse young people in the world who are speaking their minds there's a lot of sex educators out there who are giving free information there's so much free information on the internet but also if you can i say investing in yourself is so important buy a class and also support the sex work industry you're helping both yourself and somebody else i think it's important because even taking a class like a class could be twenty dollars and if you can't afford it now there's going to be one in three months so save those twenty dollars so that you can afford it then just invest in yourself Take a couple of classes, take a partner or two with you and um, learn, 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 learn. And I think the more that you learn, the more that you will be more comfortable to experiment with self and experiment with partners. And also don't be afraid. Nothing is going to happen or nothing is going to fully reveal itself to you like instantly. So like everything, it takes time. You learn more about your body. And the thing is, you never stop learning because your body is always changing. Every time your body or your mind changes, you change along with it. Like it's time for something new now. And just learn and experiment and be safe and be completely honest with yourself. More than anything else, be honest with yourself. Because if you're lying to yourself because of a partner saying that they want you to do this and you're doing this because of somebody else, then um, you're doing yourself or your partner no justice whatsoever. Did you know that the average person uses over 11,000 menstrual disposable products in their lifetime? And it's estimated that over 100 billion menstrual disposables end up in landfill annually. That's why we are so excited to collaborate with Muddy Body, the new way to period. I personally love Muddy Body products and I'm so excited to work with them. Muddy Body products help me feel my best when I'm on my period and I highly recommend them to anyone looking to explore a more sustainable and comfortable way to have your period. They are also committed to creating a positive impact as a brand. This includes helping to end period poverty and supporting health education programs that normalise and open up conversations around our bodies, which is something we're also trying to do here on Bad Behaviour. Check out modibody.com for more details. Modibody is the new way to period. You're very generous with everything that you share about your personal life online. I assume this comes with backlash. And how do you create Mm. boundaries with that, particularly 
when you're talking about sex and intimacy, is there a line between like sharing your own personal experiences and being a sex educator? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is. I uh, chose to ignore it. (laughs) If that's what you mean. Actually, and I was having this conversation with a partner of mine yesterday, and I actually asked, I was like, do you think I talk about sexual abuse too much? Because I have these conversations all the time. And I said to them that actually the reason that I do what I do is because I was sexually assaulted so many times growing up. That is the reason for me having the conversations that I have. But more than anything, if I am able to share my personal experience, then a lot of people are going to relate to it. And then a lot of people are going to resonate with the message that comes afterwards. And so I like to use my personal experiences because it's actually the reason why I do what I do. I feel like my life is a lesson to somebody else. I feel like shit that has happened to me is probably gonna save somebody else's life. And I do have boundaries and I do have lines that don't get crossed. Yes, there's a lot of backlash and it's happened to me in so many different ways and cyberbullying that's happened to me in so many different ways, but I still think that the picture is so much bigger than me, so much bigger than anything that I could ever be. Just like it's the work that I do is bigger. It's too big. You have a wonderful YouTube channel and I watched yes. this really cool video that you did and I thought you did such a lovely thing where you kind of put forward these like manifestations that you wanted in a yes. I think it's so lovely to like put out into the universe. I want someone who's this and this and this and be really active mm-hmm. about it. And it sounds like you've kind of found some of those manifestations. I did. I actually want to go back to that video and compare it with my partners who I started dating soon after that. <laughs> I'm in three different relationships. Can you believe it? That's how my manifestations went from they like so being well. single for so <laughs> Yes. Also, something that I've learned about myself is that I'm a master manifester. Partners and I did this um, um, New Year's manifestation, like some of the things we're trying to achieve this year. On my list already, half of those things have come true. These wonderful relationships that you're in now, like how is that going for you? Because you mentioned that you were single for quite a while. Like did it take time to adapt to being amongst all these partners and romantic experiences it's going really well I'm in one triad which is actually is the newer relationship because that one's been going for three months now but it's so beautiful I love it I love it but it's also very very hard and complicated because three people being in a relationship is not easy it is not easy at all and then I have another partner who actually is arriving tonight and her and I have been together on and off for like the last four years I feel like we found our perfect time to be together right now and the idea of the relationship is just to be a lot more intentional about making it work but also another thing that works for me is that all of my relationships are long distance (laughs) and it's something that I've been um, unpacking with my therapist. Like, why is it that I'm so much more attracted to long distance relationships? It's the thing that I find comforting because I don't have to be with people all the time. That's so interesting. So. You don't really hear that side of the narrative very much. Normally, 
like there's a lot of anger towards long distance relationships Mm. but I can imagine that in terms of boundaries and independence it would be really comforting to know that there's like set times when you can be Mm -hmm. with those people in person but also just like I really do enjoy my time alone I do enjoy my time alone but I know that there's going to come a time when I'm going to want somebody to be there with me more frequently when we started talking you said the work is really hard it does sound like it's really intense work but that you also get so much joy from it as well so I'm wondering what are you excited for this year and like how will you take care of yourself as well Ooh, how will I take care of myself wow I'm excited for all the new content that I have planned to create for the year. Um, Like I said, we're focusing on consent. I really feel like content around consent is going to change the world because I am a strong, firm believer in consent being a part of the curriculums in schools. And I want to make that happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I really want to make that happen. Um, Having more conversations about consent. And I'm excited about the fact that I've gotten used to the pandemic and that I was non-functional in 2020, but I'm so excited to be back at work. Now we can work. Now we know, like we know how to do it. (laughs) So I'm excited about this year. Everything about this year is going to be great. It's going to be new. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, I just, I'm excited. Thank you so much to the beautiful, wonderful Kaz for sharing her insights with us. That was such a great conversation and I'm so excited that we got to connect with her. And she has this really cool YouTube video where she manifests her dream partner. And this idea is new to me. Not the idea of manifesting, but manifesting in terms of love specifically. I was never the type of person to write down a list of what I wanted my dream partner to be. And so I was wondering if you would join me for a moment in manifesting the loves of our life. Would you do that with me? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, I love to try things out. I'm down. I'm down for an experiment. (laughs) I've actually done this before and it's really beautiful. I made a joke, but I actually, yeah, I really resonate with this idea. Why do you resonate with it? So there are people that don't really believe in manifestation and that's so fine. I think it's it's a good idea to reflect on what you want and what you're looking for because you're more likely to recognize it in the world if you're looking for it. There's a study that says if you're looking for like your keys around the house, if you say keys out loud, you're more likely to find it. It's similar. If you've said it out loud already... Your eyes are searching for that thing. And also, if you have a list of things you want and that person that you're interested in maybe has things that an anathema to that list, you go, well, that's a red flag for me. Maybe not for everybody, but for me. And until you've actually verbalized it or manifested it, you won't be able to tell. It's so magical. It is like modern magic, isn't it? The idea that you can, if you think about things intentionally and you maybe say them out loud if you feel like it you could potentially attract that in your life you know yeah and it doesn't have to be supernatural at all and it doesn't have to be 
you know, like a tropey multi-level marketing scheme. Like it can just be you sitting down and taking a moment to know what you want in life. So Nicola, (laughs) what are you looking for, babes? Babes? I've never called you babes. (laughs) I love the word babes. I, this question honestly really scares me. I really have never properly thought about this because well it's never been a priority of yours no it hasn't and like I don't want it to seem like I don't crave that though like I definitely would love to have some love (laughs) I'd love some love (laughs) god damn it we love love (laughs) okay well what what are you looking for okay so I would love someone who is I think funny is a top priority for me. And okay, so when you say funny, do you mean that they make you laugh or that they share your sense of humor and laugh at oh, your jokes with goodness. you? I don't know, Rosalind. I think both. I would I really enjoy people who suspend their disbelief and just have a bit of really good banter. And I love mm. I love people who have really weird senses of humor as well and will just go along with whatever you put in front of them so you want someone who isn't precious about jumping in to join a scenario or a joke you know what as well since we're on the topic of being honest I don't want someone to upstage me man like I don't (laughs) in terms of bringing those jokes you've got to you've got to wait your turn like I don't need an interrupter a joke interrupter like if I have a good story a funny story which you know I've got a few in my back pocket I would like the opportunity to tell it in full without this significant other thinking that they can elevate the story by jumping in for a bit of, you know, back and forth. Yeah. So not a spotlight hog. Someone who can go, oh, this is a good story and let you have the limelight. (laughs) I sound like such a bitch, I reckon, when I admit that. No, you don't. You're just saying what you think. People get too caught up in this idea of, oh, this makes me seem arrogant. This makes me seem this. No, it doesn't. It just makes you self-aware enough to know that one of the reasons that you have confidence in yourself is because you're a good storyteller. You know what? That's so true. I love that I'm getting mad. (laughs) You're a good fucking storyteller. Don't let anyone tell you different. I'm so mad at this hypothetical partner that doesn't give this to you. I'm I'm on the phone to you. I'm... Just like, oh my God, they've interrupted me again. I was about to tell the punchline. They swooped in, took it away from me. I'm getting a ticket to Alice right now. (laughs) But I think, so funny is key. Kind, kind is key. I need someone who... Okay, what does kind look like? So is kind someone who you know, is really considerate in acts of service and stuff and, like, is really considerate and thinks about other people and goes out of their way? Or is kind someone who is just very gentle and isn't necessarily someone who's, like, always doing stuff for other people but is more kind in their open-mindedness or... This is torturous for me. I can't do this exercise. (laughs) I'm not making it easy, I will say. Well, I've brought my Gemini energy to this discussion. (laughs) Is it... Maybe I'm not ready. Do you want to just do a quick list? Should we just do rapid fire rather than me questioning every single thing? Well, okay, counter offer. How about we just skip me and go straight to you and I'll question you in depth. In conclusion, 
what I've discovered is that... Oh, we're concluding. <laughs> well, my side of the park, we're concluding. We'll ride over to you in the studio in a moment. But mm. for me, this bitch ain't ready to manifest someone yet. <laughs> I got to take a seat. I'm not there. I'm not there. I just, I don't like people enough to do that right now. So <laughs> I think that's an exercise for future Nicola. And yeah. I would then like to ask you, could you tell me some of your top qualities? Um, let me think of them. <laughs> I was very excited about yours. I didn't even take a moment to think of the fact that you would then ask me um, very soon after. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so I'm not a naturally trusting person. So I think someone who is really respectful of boundaries and vulnerability you know we talk about it on this podcast all the time but I think that's really important to me someone who knows that I'm not trusting so when I give myself in that way and I share things that are personal they respect it and value it in the way that it's meant someone who's honest about what they want and need is really important someone who is self-aware <laughs> and knows themselves uh, someone who's giving of their time is really important to me. Someone who has a priority of self-growth because I want to keep growing. I don't want to stagnate with somebody else because we decide that we like each other at that point. I want someone who wants to grow with me. I think that for a lot of years, I really got into the habit of not letting myself think that love was something to openly want. I was like this cool, independent woman who didn't need anyone, who was riding solo. And so I didn't let myself ever think about this type of exercise because it's, you know, it was like the direct contradiction to these walls that I'd built up. So something like this, even if you don't feel like you want it in your life right now, I think you just got to give yourself permission to daydream a little bit because even in terms of connection it doesn't even have to be a lover it can just be a friend like manifest a good friend for yourself thank you so much for listening to our episode everybody it's amazing to have you and we'll see you on the next one the executive producer for this episode was nicola Cranage. Bad Behaviour is produced by Rosalind Enkatel, Nicola Cranage, and Namchedju Magembe. Hosted by Rosalind Enkatel and Nicola Cranage. Editing and sound design by Namchedju Magembe. Our logo was designed by Bonnie Eichelberger. We all misbehave sometimes. Wanna change the world, indulge in some bad behavior.